0: Well, good morning. good morning. It is great to be with you today. My name is Pastor Matt Beatty, and a downtown campus missional ministry pastor here at Crossway. And what a, uh, what a joy it is to serve here. It's been such a, a special season. And, hey, I am here uh, for the second time in three weeks. And uh, so, yeah, <laughs> that's right. If you booed, we'd have had a different situation. Um, but, you know, I, I want to say that this psalm that we're doing today is as exciting and as positive as that, uh, that cheer was. But unfortunately, when I opened this up, you know, I got the, the schedule, hey, Matt, can you preach this date? And I, I said, sure, I'd love to. And I opened up Psalm 129, and I was like, oh, well, this is going to be interesting. And so let's just... Uh, Let's just read this together. I'll read it. You can just pay attention and, and, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll go through it. So Psalm 129 says this, "'They have greatly oppressed me from my youth. Let Israel say, "'They have greatly oppressed me from my youth, "'but they have not gained the victory over me. "'Plowmen have plowed my back "'and made their furrows long. "'But the Lord is righteous. "'He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked.'" May all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. May they be like grass on the roof which withers before it can grow. A reaper cannot fill his hands with it, nor one who gathers fill his arms. May those who pass by not say to them, the blessing of the Lord be on you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. So, God has something to speak to us today from this psalm. Do you believe that? Yeah, sorry. So let me pray. We'll just uh, welcome a, uh, a spirit, God's spirit, to come and speak to us as, uh, as we reflect on this. So let's just, uh, let's just pray together. So God, we pray for a spirit of peace, a spirit of openness, that your Holy Spirit, that God, you would show up and help us to receive and uh, meet you today in this psalm, in the place that you would have us. So I just pray that you would open our, our hearts, our, our ears, open our eyes to see what you want us to see. And may we, uh, may we learn something. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, this psalm seems kind of like heavy, right? Plowmen have plowed my back. Uh, we hope that your grass withers and people don't come and bless you. Um, But Eugene Peterson talks about this psalm, and he says that perseverance is the key. And as I read through this psalm multiple times, I I landed on this this short phrase, don't give up. Don't give up. There's something beautiful about this psalm, even though it seems kind of icky from from the outside. It's not something that you're going to hear read at like a wedding right? Plowmen have plowed my back. Enjoy this marriage. Um, it, you know, this is heavy stuff. And, and the reality is life is sometimes heavy. And so there's an honesty here. So let me just, why don't we walk through this Psalm uh, kind of verse by verse for a little bit, and, and I'll do some reflecting. And then I have a couple of thoughts to come out of that. So starting in verses one through four, Um, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth, let Israel say. Now, let Israel say, that's not part of the song. I mean, it is, but it's like, these are songs of ascent. These are pilgrim songs. These are songs that Israel, the people of Israel, were singing when they were walking towards Jerusalem. And uh, some of them you go, okay, that makes sense. And some of them you say, Wow, like, are we all going to sing? They have greatly oppressed me from my youth together. Um, And I think they did. Uh, And I thought, you know, I was trying to come up with some, like, songs that we could sing together, like, based on that. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, like, the call and response thing. I'm not going to make you do it. I I was considering even up to this morning. Um, But I did think of one song that I feel like gets this across, that maybe gives you a better idea. Because I, when I looked at this, I, I said, they, they sang this? They've greatly oppressed me from my youth, the leader says. And everyone else says, they've greatly oppressed me from my youth. But they've not gained the victory over me. 1997, I was uh, in middle school. And this, uh, this band, um, Chumba Wumba, <laughs> they, they had one big hit. Anyone know what it is? If you're my age, you got to know. Top thumping. And I get knocked down, but I get up again. He ain't never going to keep me down. I mean, it's mostly a drinking song, but <laughs> I, as I was reflecting on it, I thought, you know, that I get knocked down, but I get up again. That is what they're saying. Who wants to sing, I get knocked down? That doesn't sound very fun. But when you actually start listening sometimes to the music that we sing, you say, oh, there's, there's hardship, and then there's a bit of, like, perseverance. And so I almost imagine that as, as the people are saying, I get not, they've greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they have not gained the victory over me, right? To God be the glory. But then it goes on, plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long. This is not some like, I pushed someone over in a bar and now we're going to sing about it kind of a thing. This is like, this is hard stuff. This is stuff where you say, wow, like, they have gently oppressed me from my, no, they've greatly oppressed me from my youth. This oppression was great. It was deep. Plowmen have plowed my back. That doesn't sound very fun. And yet... Verse 4, but the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. Again, God's faithfulness in the people's challenge. And then we get to verse 5, and this is uh, where things start getting interesting. I consider this kind of the, the turning point of the psalm where we need to pull things apart a little bit more. And it says, May all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. So, we can understand this a couple different ways. May all who hate Israel. Uh, may, may all who hate peace. May all, but may all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. People have treated me poorly. This isn't reflective of God's way. May they be turned back in shame. Okay, so we're, we're moving through that. And then verses 6 to 8. May they be like grass on the roof which withers before it can grow. A reaper cannot fill his hands with it, nor one who gathers fill his arms. May those who pass by not say to them, the blessing of the Lord be on you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. It's kind of bitter, right? There's this sense of like, the anger that I feel, it's not a shallow anger, it's a deep anger. And so think about This idea of saying, may all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. May all who hate the way of the Lord be stopped. There's something important here. It's that the psalmist is is honest. Not only is the psalmist honest about these hard things have happened to me, But there's also an honesty that says, these things are wrong, and I don't think they should happen, period. Eugene Peterson says this, the person who rationalizes the excesses of the wicked, who loses a sense of opposition to sin, who obscures the difference between faith and denial, grace and selfishness, that is the person to be wary of. So not only are we saying, God, stop, stop those who are in opposition to you, but there's also this sense of, if you cannot see the difference between this wrong thing and this right thing, between the way of the world and the way of Zion, that is not a good thing. So we want to keep our eyes clear. We want to say, no, this is, this is wrong. There's no two ways about it. This is wrong. And so it's interesting because we take that and we say, okay, are we we with that? Generally, I would say, yeah, we agree. We say, okay, yes. We want to be aware of the things that God is aware of. We want to oppose the things that God opposes. And then we get into uh, how the psalmist says he wants to oppose them. May they be like grass. Growing in a place the grass isn't supposed to grow. And I find this so interesting because there's a description you know, a reaper, you, you, this is an agrarian society. This is a, a farming society in many ways. And so these people would understand this. They would say, okay, yeah, we don't want this person who's oppressing us to have like beautiful crops, we want their grass to be growing on the roof. We don't want them to be able to come by and and harvest anything. And I think this may be, well, I have no idea, so I'm not even going to say it may be the only, but it's the first time I've seen an ironic blessing, a, a sarcastic blessing in the Bible where, you know, the last verse, may those who pass by not say to them, the blessing of the Lord be on you. We bless you in the name of Jesus. You can just hear the sarcasm dripping. And as I read that part, I was like, eh. is this like, is this the way of God? Is this the way of Zion? So that's where we sit. And this is what I want to say. A couple reflections as we dive deeper into this psalm. It's a psalm of perseverance. It's a psalm that says, don't give up. But it's it's an honest psalm, too. This is Israel writing. This is, this is personified. The me in this psalm is a personified Israel. It's the whole nation saying, they have oppressed me, Israel. They have oppressed us since our youth. And it turns out Israel's bitter about it. And so we get to this ending point where they're like, may no one walk by and say, God bless you. And it makes us, I think, uncomfortable. And yet they are bringing the full weight of their, the state of their hearts, the, the disappointment that they feel, the unfairness of what has happened to them. They're bringing the full weight of that to God, and they're saying, "We're not going to be shy about sharing this with God. In fact, we're going to tell you we're upset. We don't want people to bless them at all. We want to see them fail." I don't think verses five to eight here are particularly comfortable for us to read because we have we have a, an awareness, right? What are we supposed to do with our enemies? Forgive, and not fight, not fight, forgive. Uh, How many times are we supposed to forgive? The Bible says 70 times seven. Pray for those who persecute you. And so we know that that is God's heart. And so when we hit hard things and we have difficulties and we are feeling resentful, angry, often I think what we do is we say, well, I'm not allowed to be angry, right? Because God says, I have to forgive this person. God says, I have to forgive them. Unending, 70 times 7 means essentially forever. There is no end to God's forgiveness. And yet, in this psalm, we have this beautiful realization of, I am not God. I'm not perfect. And all I do when I hide that stuff and bury it is it keeps it in longer really. So Israel says, all right, God, we're going to give this straight to you in all of our honesty with all the, the words that we feel and it's going to be uncomfortable and messy and yucky and yet this is the way to finding freedom here. Eugene Peterson again, he says this, our yelling, if we can get that up there, yeah, our yelling though, not all of it, means we care about something. We care about God. We care about the ways of the kingdom. We care about morality, about justice, about righteousness. Our yelling, keep in mind, though not all of it, means we care. It means we haven't gone numb to the the issues in the world. And so what's happening here? Israel is saying, I see this and I'm not okay with it, God. So we, we can learn something from that. And I touched on this earlier, but what is it that we're talking about? We're talking about not like not shallow oppression, not shallow pain, not something that that the people are like, yeah, you know, they cut me off in traffic, and your donkey went in front of mine, that wasn't okay. They're like, you have greatly oppressed me. My entire life, you have greatly oppressed me. The plowmen have plowed my back. This isn't a small inconvenience, a small rejection. It is abuse. It's genuine difficulty. It's a problem that Israel says, we're cut. We're cut to the core with this. And we can't do anything about it other than bring it to God in song that we're going to sing together. This idea of deep furrows in my back, the plowman of plowed deep furrows in my back, it's an interesting one because on one hand, we we read it and we're like, this is, you know, this is not real, right? And yet as I read... It's unclear, but it seemed like sometimes in this society, escaped slaves, there was slavery going on back then. One of the punishments was that they would be forced to lie down on the ground and have their back plowed, plowed, deep furrows in my back. There's this sense of like, this is going to take some healing. This is going to take some time. And as I thought about that idea of deep furrows in my back, it reminded me of something else. Reminded me of someone who experienced deep cuts, deep wounds in his back. By his stripes, we are healed, right? When Jesus went to the cross, before he went to the cross, he was tortured. And they took this whip a cat of nine tails, or something like that. And they whipped him until his back was raw and had deep furrows. There's this sense of kind of a, a sense of looking forward, a prophetic sense in this that not only has Israel suffered these deep wounds, but Jesus will as well. But what happens? By his stripes, we are healed. By his stripes, we are healed. And so as I read this psalm, and especially as I read the end, what is it that we see in the end? There's a deep anger and frustration there. And I think what's being communicated is, God, we see this thing, and apparently you don't care about it. We see this injustice, and where are you? Have you showed up? We don't see you. And I guess the question I would ask us today is, has that ever been something that you have felt? God, I'm in this problem. I have this friend who's gotten sick. I have this family situation. I've been abused. I've been traumatized. And where are you? And there's plenty of people who I've talked to Who very naturally say, he doesn't care. And that's why I can't believe in that God. You know, what's the biggest question, the biggest struggle sometimes with faith? Why do bad things happen to good people? How come, God, you are far from this? I think we are tempted sometimes to believe that God is removed that God doesn't care. That God's like, <laughs> you guys are really hurting each other down there. Yeah. And yet, as I think about it, not only those deep furrows, those those stripes in Christ's back, and the fact that Jesus came to this earth, I started going through Scripture and thinking about all the times that I think God was looking, and probably deeply hurt, deeply frustrated. Deeply upset with the wickedness, and I thought, if we think we're tired of it, imagine how God feels. Think about the garden. God creates the world. He puts Adam and Eve in charge, and He says, "Go and uh, go and name animals." Tommy talked about this last week. Go have fun. <laughs> you know, this is this is Eden. This is perfection. This is life whole. And they do what? They eat from the tree that they're not supposed to eat from. And then the fall happens. And they hide. They say, well, I can't show myself to God. God must have been so frustrated. Think about the flood. Evil had gotten so rampant that God said to to Noah, build an ark because I'm done with this world. And he flooded the entire world. That's That's a pretty deep level of frustration. And he committed never to do it again. Joseph. I thought about the story of Joseph and his brothers. Joseph, who was the, the favored son, the golden child. And what happened? His brothers threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery. He was maltreated. He ended up getting accused you know, of, of adultery. He was thrown in jail. And then his brothers show up when Israel has a famine and Egypt doesn't? And God says, well, what you intended for evil, all this time I intended for good. Do you think God was frustrated, though, by that? By that wickedness that his brothers had? I thought about Israel and King Saul, Israel's first king. And and essentially, God says, am I enough for you? And Israel says, no, we want a king. Give us a king. And God says, okay, I'll give you a king. I'll give you the king you want. But it's not going to be the king you need. That must have been frustrating. Of course, David came in, a broken man, a man after God's own heart. Think about all of the exiles that that happened, all the times that Israel was routed because of their unfaithfulness to God. Do you think God was frustrated? He must have been. And then lastly, this isn't the end, but it's the last that I want to mention. The ultimate attempt at dealing with this wickedness. God sends his own son to the world to live among us, to be treated poorly, tortured, killed. God sees wickedness in the world. God sees the people who are greatly oppressing Israel from their youth. God sees the difficulties in your life. God sees the hard things that we suffer and that are, are, are befalling other people. And he cares. I think he cares even deeper than we care. Sometimes when I'm feeling fear or anxiety for for my, my daughters, I have a 10- and 7-year-old. And, and, you know, having kids is, is terrifying because you realize that you can't control the world, right? And that's probably good. But sometimes I have to remind myself, God loves her even more than I do somehow. So God cares. God cares. And yet the psalmist this is where I think we have to take this psalm and, and parse it a little. Be careful. Because what the psalmist does in the end, it's, it's this cursing. I think it's honest. And, and my hope is that it's a place to camp out for a little bit. But it is not a place where God wants us to stay, to put down roots, to say, you know what? I am going to live in this bitterness. I am going to live in this place of cursing those enemies. And so, I think God says, look, I get it. And by my stripes, you are healed. You're free. But maybe for a little season, you need to experience that grief, that upset, and you need to give it to me. So there's honesty. But I think we need to take a partial lesson from it, and we need to say, okay, I need to be honest with God. And I need to remember that what God has done has brought freedom and forgiveness for all. And so, what is the difference between God's anger? What is the response of God's anger with all those stories through scripture that I just talked about, verses? Our anger. Where does the psalmist go off from where God is? Because the psalmist is is human. And he goes off with his judgment, with his vindictiveness. I'm going to get you back. I want to see you get yours. Godly anger is different, it's for the purpose of repentance. It's for good, it's for life. But I think the psalmist goes to something uncomfortably, goes to contempt. And uh, there's this quote, genuine contempt. And hear this, genuine contempt is the unsullied conviction of the worthlessness of another. So if we are not careful That godly anger that says, no, that's wrong, and I need to oppose it, it can trip into something that says, I oppose you because you're worthless. And I'll be honest with you, that lies in my heart. It lies in all of our hearts, that opportunity, that possibility to say, I I don't just, like, oppose this bad thing you're doing, but I oppose you. And that's when we have to remember that God sent his only son to suffer and die for that person as well as for me and my contempt, right? We have to say, okay, (laughs) I still need help with this. When Jesus was on the cross, did he have contempt for anyone? No. What was his response? You remember? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Only God can do that kind of work, right? I'm not telling you to go and feel like you can't be honest, because that's what we trip into. Only God can do that work. But that is the work. When we are camping out in contempt and bitterness, it robs us of joy. And as Peterson says, this is a psalm about perseverance, persevering, running the race, saying, no, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to follow you, God, because you, Zion, is the way of life, and I don't want the way of death. And so I want to oppose the way of death, but I don't want to fall into the way of death as I oppose it. Jesus had compassion on people like sheep without a shepherd. There's a beautiful story uh, where where Jesus, I mean, it's sad, but you get this picture of who he is, who he was. Jesus finds out that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been killed, had been beheaded. And and it's just a sense of like his deep, deep sorrow. And it says he withdrew. He needed time to grieve. And the people were like, no, 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 we need you, so we're going to follow you. And what did he do? He, he didn't have contempt on them. He didn't turn them away. He, he had compassion on them. He healed them. He taught them. But that same Jesus, he wasn't soft. What did he do when he came into the temple that last week? I'm sure it ticked off the Pharisees and the religious elite. He, he flipped the, the, the tables. He flipped the tables because he said this... You've made my house a den of robbers. I'm not suggesting you go flip tables, by the way, but Jesus had a clear idea of the way of God and the way of the world, and he said, I'm going to choose this all the time. What did Jesus do when he talked to people, when he opposed sin? I don't think he was ever out to shame people. I'll put it that way. I think his way of asking questions was shining a light on people's motives so often. One of my favorite contrasts in scripture is, uh, is the story of blind Bartimaeus. And uh, when, when Jesus, you know, is this blind guy, he's, he's crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops and he says, bring, bring him over here. He comes over and he says, what do you want me to do for you, Lord? I want to have my sight restored. And Jesus heals him. Immediately. Corresponding to that, right next to it in Scripture, we have the, uh, the sons of thunder, two of his, uh, his disciples, John and uh, Andrew, I think. Um, and they say, Lord, we're going to ask you a question. Do you... Tell us right now that you'll give us exactly what we want. Have your kids ever done that to you? And, and he says, What do you want me to do for you? The exact same words he says to blind Bartimaeus. And they say, We want to sit at your right and left when you come near glory. He says, Oh, that's, <laughs> that's not for me to give you that thing. Jesus' questions revealed people's hearts. But Jesus opposed sin. And we are called to oppose sin too. You know, there's this phrase that uh, a friend of mine uses, and uh, it is this, don't go flat. And I want to talk to you about this. So, you know, I'm, uh, I'm 40 now, but at one point I was a very young man, and a lot of young men, just be honest here, tend to have anger issues. And... Um, you can come talk to me later. If you disagree, that's fine. But I felt like I kind of had an anger problem, and I would get frustrated. And I'm not very good at hiding how I feel. Um, and so it was causing me trouble. I was an executive pastor, and, um, and I had this leadership coach, and she was basically just like, you've got to stop getting so angry. So I tried. I really tried. And eventually, uh, my friend... Uh, and I were talking, and, and she, she said, you know, I think you've worked very hard not to get angry. And, and that's going low, right? That's when we, when we hit these type of emotions. But in doing that, you're not really getting very happy either. You're not finding joy. And so somehow... You need to not go flat. Don't go flat. Don't flatline and say, I shouldn't be angry, so I'm going to feel nothing all the time. How do we take our anger and give it to God? That's the question. Because we want to live to the fullest. And that means redeeming this so we can experience this. And I think one of the best ways we can do that is by bringing this to God. So I want to show you a short video, and, uh, and then we're going to wrap up.
1: I'd say that there are three kind of um, tips when it comes to prayer. To keep it simple, to keep it honest, and to keep it going. Um, to keep it simple means that uh, you have to make your prayer as simple as possible. Um, reduce it even just to one sentence. Um, can be sometimes five minutes, can be 10 minutes, can be half an hour. Then keep it honest. Um, We often think that we have to be uh, in a certain mood to pray, so that before starting praying, we have to be peaceful, we have to be joyful, or we have to be enthusiastic about the Lord. The reality is that most of the time uh, we are in a completely different mood. Um, So we are either... Um, worried, or we are uh, tired, or we are frustrated about something, or we are angry about something. The secret is really to realize that each one of these feelings, even the most negative one, I'd say even anger, even lust, can become a fuel to prayer, can be transformed into prayer. When I start praying, I, I just focus on what is the dominant feeling in my heart. Uh, if it is a positive feeling, like joy, I offer this joy to the Lord, if it is a negative feeling, like um, frustration or tiredness, I start from there and I say to the Lord, "Lord, I'm tired, or I'm frustrated," um, and I I kind of express all the reasons of my frustrations to the, uh, frustration to the Lord, and I and I transform them into prayer in this way, and then keep it going. We can pray all the time. I can pray uh, for the people around me. I can just. Um, Say to the Lord very simply, Lord, I love you, or Lord, help me. I can, um, in any situation, um, when I'm in the church, when I'm in my room, before going to bed, um, before meals, yes, but also when I'm walking, when I'm driving, um, often I realize I'm praying, even without having decided to pray, um, just because it has become a kind of habit. So keep it simple, uh, keep it honest, keep it going.
0: So, why did I show this? Because when we are dealing with our lives, and dealing with frustrations, wrongs, and we're dealing when, even if our life is going well, I know there are people around you that are struggling. The thing that we need to do is not to go flat and to say, I don't want to have anger about these things. But it's also not to go into contempt. It's not to go into bitterness like the psalmist does. It's to do what they do, though, in the beginning. They bring it straight to God. And so I love that idea of saying, I'm feeling anger. What do I do? I bring it to God. God, I'm angry. God, I'm frustrated. God, I am thankful for what you're doing. These are pilgrim psalms. They're psalms for people walking toward Zion. And as we are walking toward God, walking toward Zion, which we are, we're walking toward God in this life. Isn't it better than than focusing on the pebbles in the road to look up and say, I want my eyes to be on you. So if I'm dealing with something, God, I'm going to bring it straight to you. I want my face to be turned to you. And I think the only way to do that is by being honest, by not going flat. And if sometimes we have to sing these, I get knocked down but I get up again type of songs, we sing them. And we say, God, this is how I feel. You're welcome here. So, would you pray with me? I'll try to keep it simple and honest and going, but not too far going. So God, we we thank you. We thank you that you Are not afraid of our honesty. That you are not worried when we feel upset, when we are imperfect, when we are human. We thank you, God, for your love, for your redeeming love through Jesus. We thank you that Jesus, though he was God, And is God chose to come into this world to live as a human, to be insulted, to get deep furrows in his back, to be put on a cross, killed, and that in that he defeated death forever and that we are invited into life, into the way of Zion. So I pray that the way of life, your way, God, would be ever present before us. And may we know that you call us to approach you with honesty, to boldly approach your throne of grace to receive mercy, our day of need. We praise you. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.